0: Good morning. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to do a wedding uh, for this really awesome couple. And, but they told me before doing the wedding, there were a couple of things kind of different that they were wanting to do, and I was not going to know everything until we just kind of played it all out. And Well, one of the first things that they did want, though, that they did have to tell me at the very beginning was they wanted to be married in Gatlinburg. Has anybody here ever been married in Gatlinburg? All right. Anybody here ever been to Gatlinburg? Can anybody here pronounce Gatlinburg? (laughs) All right, that's pretty much all of us. Okay, all of us have an experience with Gatlinburg. And so they wanted me to go to Gatlinburg and to do this, and I thought that was pretty cool, awesome. And so when we got there, they had essentially just kind of rented out the top of this mountain kind of thing, and there were these cabins that were like surrounding the very peak of it. They had me like my own cabin that was... Really wide and really fun, and he was just really awesome and just relaxing to kind of sleep there. And then, uh, and then the very, very peak though, they had this—they uh, had this building. It was a building that had a floor and it had a roof, and it didn't have any walls. Somebody had forgotten to put the walls on. Some people like to fancy it up and call it a gazebo. I call it an unfinished building. Somebody. Somebody didn't do it all, but that's what that was, and I thought, okay, how weird it is because you're on the top of a mountain, there's a lot of wind going, and if you get close to the wall, there, there's, there's a drop-off, and you could die, and, and so if the wind just kind of picked up, so I wanted a wall, didn't have one, no problem. We're doing the wedding anyway, and so the day of the wedding came up, and we got in there, and we started practicing and stuff like that, and they told me there, there was, there was kind of this other new little weird thing that they were wanting to do. If you've been to a wedding, have you, uh, of course, you know that you swap rings, sign of unity, right? You, uh, you kiss, sign of unity. You know, uh, you may do something else like a unity candle. Anybody ever here see a unity candle where you like light, light things on fire during your ceremony? <laughs> There's another one called unity sand. Anybody here ever seen unity sand where you take two different colors sands and they're all pretty? You put them together, they're not pretty anymore? a great symbolism for marriage. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. (laughs) And then you've got like another one where people have like these ropes and they tie knots and I don't know why, Uh, but they do that. Have you seen, anybody seen those before? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I'm sure if any of you did that, I'm sure it was beautiful. (laughs) I'm sure it was awesome and a very beautiful braid. Um, But this couple, they, they said that okay, you have those, but what they wanted to do was they wanted to throw birds, <laughs> and they said, what's the name for that? I'm like, I I I, I didn't I don't I didn't learn that in seminary. I, Unity bird. Do we just call that the unity bird? So, uh, and they said, I'm, I'm like, what, what are you going to do with this bird? Are you just going to like step back and throw it at each other and like let them like fight each other? I don't know. What are you going to do with these birds? They said, well, we're going to go to the we're going to release them. I'm like, that should be pretty. <laughs> Not, not real sure at this point. So anyway, they're wanting to throw birds during their wedding. That's really awesome. So, so we get to the ceremony, we're doing it, but the thing that they didn't tell me was that they're going to keep this bird right beside me whenever I'm, I'm doing the, the officiating. So I'm talking, and I'm here, and I'm talking, and I'm hearing, I'm talking a little more, and I hear, and so I'm having to talk over the volume of this bird because it's getting louder and louder and louder. I'm like, I can't wait till we start throwing these birds. So that's going to be exciting. And so it came time, right, that precious moment in the ceremony where they're going to show their love for one another for throwing birds. And so he walks over like a gentleman ought to to pick the bird up for his lady because that's what gentlemen do. We pick stuff up that may bite our ladies and then hand it to them. (laughs) So he kneels down, he opens up the cage, and he reaches in, and he pulls out this really really beautiful white dove and everybody's like "Ooh!" he hands it to his to his bride and she holds it and then he kneels down and I didn't know what was happening he reaches in and I'm like how many birds you got in this cage dude but he reaches in and he pulls out another one that's that's not as white and it's gray and it's not as pretty but that was his bird and so he took the ugly bird and they 're sitting there, and they 're holding their birds, and they 're looking at me smiling, and these birds are you know jerking and kind of going and stuff and and then and then and then their music was supposed to start, and i didn 't know their their music, but if you 've ever had an 80's ballad song played during your ceremony, you know you know where i 'm coming from right now 80s rock ballad with the like 15 minute guitar solo right in the middle. it was appropriate um, so <laughs> So, so they do this and the song starts. And, and, they're, and they're walking together, and this couple, they're they kind of talking and they're giggling and they're talking and stuff like that. And then they get kind of to the edge and they're sitting there and just kind of talking, and everybody's like, oh, this is a nice moment. So well, when the guitar part comes and they're like, you know, and it's like wailing or whatever, uh, they they kind of do this. They kind of turn to one another and then they put their birds together and let them kiss. <laughs> I don't know why, but them birds kissed that day. That was, <laughs> so mwah! So that, kid, that bird kissed that bird. And so they sat there, the song ended, and right when the song ended, she took her bird and she launched her bird. And that bird took flight. It wing, it, the wings opened up. I mean, and it was beautiful. There in the Smoky Mountains, the scene, the mountains, it looked just like a Bob Ross painting. You know what I mean? Except, I mean, if you don't know who Bob Ross is, it's like Thomas Kincaid with a lot more hair. It was just beautiful. It was a beautiful painting there with that dove and stuff. And then he leans back and draws back, and he launches his bird, and it goes straight down. (laughs) And the head insult injury, he says, My bird! So he's like, what am I going to do, my bird? And he come back to me asking me for a question for which I'm not prepared for this situation at all. He's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. You killed your bird. Like you threw a bird to its death on your wedding. That can't be good. That's got to be really bad. You just killed a bird. He's like, church it up. I'm like, church it up on your wedding day, the best day of your life. You killed a bird. You can't search that mess up, man. That's horrible. <laughs> well, I'm laughing. I, I can't do anything but laugh. I can't stop laughing at this bird that he threw that couldn't fly. I'm like, did you not test him? <laughs> I don't, don't know how you test one. Like, you tie a rope around and be like, go, ha <laughs> ha, tricked you. You know, I don't know how you do that. So anyway, we go throughout the rest of this ceremony and we hear this bird over the edge start cooing because it had landed on a limb and it's now screaming for its life for the rest of this ceremony. It was horrible. (laughs) It was horrible. Have you ever been a part of a scene, a ceremony, a moment, that you've put so much time, so much effort, so much focus and so much resource for it not to turn out the way that you had planned for it to? Anybody? <laughs> I've got some hands raising in here. This is awesome. Yeah. So you've been a part of situations that have not exactly turned out the way that you have wanted it to turn out. There are a lot of things in life that don't exactly function properly. And even to your best effort, it will not and may not be able to function properly. But for our purpose today, what I think today, one major thing that's not functioning properly, that ought to be functioning properly and very easily can, is the American church. is our church. I think we struggle being who Jesus wants us to be. And I think at times, we don't act like the church that God has orchestrated for us to be. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to see a scenario of a guy by the name of Philip. Philip creates a gospel engagement moment. He has this moment on this road with this Ethiopian eunuch, and there are three characters involved in this whole story. And what it illustrates for us is that you and I, when we don't act the way that God has designed us, of course we act improperly. We don't function right. You and I are designed to function as gospel ambassadors, as people that are to engage our community with the gospel. And the first step of that is to create gospel engagements. Do something for someone you know that builds a relationship, that, that, that connects a dot, something that maybe afford you an opportunity to pray or something. This morning, I was able to to uh, to to drop some seeds and to have a gospel engagement on the way here. I got gas. the The gas station had just turned its light on, and so I pulled in and I got a full tank. And when I walked in, it was just me and then the the, the lady that's attending there. And so um, so I said, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And she said, "Man, I'm fine. Why are you so happy?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I got to wake up. That's a that's a start." And. Uh, I had hot water and there's no more snow in my yard, so those, those are some good things. And so one thing led to another, and we just talked, and um, and and I said, well, are you not having a good day? And she said, well, my life was rough, and she just kind of explained. It. I said, well, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to pray with you. She said, yeah, you can do that. And she went on about her business and said, no, can I pray with you now? Because if I if I leave, I'll forget. And just to be honest, that's not being unspiritual, and doesn't mean I'm less of a Christian. And just really, I'll forget. I mean, there's a lot of things go through my head and. I don't want to forget. It's pretty important. She said, well, yeah. Hey, let's pray. And so uh, I didn't get to share the gospel like Romans rode with her this morning. I didn't get there. But I planted a seed. I had a gospel engagement. When I left there, I could tell you one thing. She felt more cared for than whenever I, before I got there. Because something had went on that night before that she needed prayer for. Man, so the Lord, just threw me that direction. What we see in chapter 8 is this unfolding beautiful story of this guy named Philip, and his title is The Evangelist. We see Philip, the evangelist, throughout Scripture, sharing his faith and being in some really cool moments. And In chapter 8, we see the beauty of his story begin in a place where I believe a lot of our stories probably may be in, in a place of pain, trouble, trial, difficulty, persecution, That is the place where Philip's story begins. In verse 3, we see Saul the persecutor. He had just experienced Stephen being martyred. He was holding his jackets. He gave his jackets back. And in verse 3, we see Paul, which name is Saul at this point. Saul is now persecuting believers everywhere in such a way that believers had to start scattering. They had to leave. They had to get out of that place. Philip was one of those. Saul's persecution got hot and heavy, so he left and he went to Samaria. And we see in verse 4, those believers scattered. So we see in verse 5, Philip was scattered to Samaria and began to engage the community with the gospel, creating gospel opportunities, caring for people, talking to people, and ultimately leading people to Jesus, and people surrendering their life to Jesus, and people proclaiming Jesus in such a way that it got so huge and so awesome that the apostles, in verses um, um, uh, 14, the apostles, and even Peter and John specifically, heard what was going on, so Peter and John left where they were, and they went to Samaria to help out. Now, in the midst of all this excitement, you had this one guy named Simon the sorcerer. He made an appearance there in verse um, in verse five. No, in verse 9 through 13. And Simon the sorcerer was, seemed like a nice guy, seemed like he was all right, but he didn't know the Lord. Philip engaged him with the gospel, actually was able to share the gospel with him, and Simon the sorcerer surrendered his life to Jesus and got baptized. And then you have the apostles enter in verses 15 uh, and 14. In verses 15 through 17, Peter and John start praying that the new believers start receiving the Holy Spirit. It's the last time you prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall on you. Peter and John prayed, Spirit, please fall on these new believers. Empower them for the gospel. The reason why we may feel fatigued or lack of power Maybe we're trying to do life without the Holy Spirit. Peter and John were praying, Holy Spirit, come. Fall on these people. And so Simon the sorcerer stepped up and said, Man, I need the Holy Spirit. How much does he cost? So he tried to pay money for the Holy Spirit. With well, that wait, Peter and John, they started rebuking him, saying, Man, you don't do that. That's not how it comes. The Holy Spirit does not come and go due to your resource. He's actually coming because we're praying and begging And God's sovereignty has ordained it in this location. So Simon the sorcerer repents. And then we see this story move even closer and focuses in a little deeper and a little clearer on the life of Philip. Where is Philip in all of this? Well, Philip is asked to leave Samaria and all the masses, and he's asked to go down a deserted road to, to another location and just to be obedient. So we see in verse 30, Philip running down this road, and if you could, we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 30. If you could, would you please stand in honor of reading the Lord's word? Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the privilege and honor just to be able to wake up today. Father, to jump into our car and to go to a place where other believers are gathering. Lord, to be encouraged and to encourage, to be blessed and to be a blessing. Father, we thank you for this home, for this place. God, we thank you for its leaders and pastors. God, we ask that you protect us and use us. And Lord, today help us receive such clarity of why we are even here. God, be with us. Use us for the building of your kingdom in it alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and in all and all God's people said. And all God's people said. One more time. You may be seated. Philip had a gospel engagement, a gospel engagement. We see three individuals, three characters that are intimately involved in this story with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And we see three unique experiences. The first thing that we're going to follow here is Philip's and his gospel engagement experience. His experience reminds us that we have got to be prepared for anything when we decide to give our life to God and to follow God as God uh, uh, commands of us. When God has a plan, he utilizes, in his sovereignty, he utilizes human instruments. Sure, God can use anything. God can use the pavement outside. He can use the car that you drove. He can use this wall right here. He can use a speaker right here. God has decided in his infinite grace to use you and me. And yet we still have a choice in all of this if we'd want to be used or not. When a king has graced us and has beckoned and has pleaded and has sacrificed so much and has asked you and I to be gospel ambassadors, we at times still have the audacity to say no or to even live in a way that's saying no. Philip's path, though, was less than ideal. I mean, he didn't have everything smooth. In just this one short passage, we see that his path to get where God wanted him to go was not easy, and it was difficult. Catch this in verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert, a deserted road. Now, I know many of you are thinking that I said desert because I'm hungry right now, and it probably rolls off that way, and it's fine. But this, this is not food or a sweet, sweet delicacy that we're going to eat in probably in the next 45 minutes. Nice nice dessert. This is actually a deserted road where nothing is. Verse 27. So he got up and went. He got up and went. The Spirit of God uses and maneuvers you and I in a way that sometimes is very unexpected. Sometimes is not the ideal according to us, and sometimes, and most times, and all times, it's very strategic. Philip's life is a path that illustrates that, that, that sometimes when God calls, it's painful, it's unexpected, and sometimes it doesn't add up. We see in Philip's situation, it was a painful, painful situation. In verse uh, three, his path involved pain. Where was Philip when this story began? He was in the midst of persecution. He was in the midst of running for his life. He was in the midst of, of, of tribulation and being attacked. That's where this story begins. How many times have you heard a believer or a church person say, man, I will get on page with God or I'll start doing the church thing or I'll start doing this when all things get fixed. David, real soon these things are going to be better and I'm going to be able to start doing these things. Well, I'm here to tell you, you will never find that place in life. If I have always waited for the scenario and all the scene and the environment to be exactly perfect... I cannot tell you in my life when things have been exactly perfect, but I can tell you when things have been totally, completely rotten. And it's at those rotten little places that something has catapulted out of the mess and into the glory. Maybe you're sitting in a mess, in a struggle, in a problem right now, and you don't know the way out. Follow Philip. Follow God, find where the Lord would have you. We see that His path involved pain. We also see that his path was unexpected, unexpected. in verse 26 we see that he was commanded to use a path that was seldom used. Going from where he was to this place called Gaza, what we saw was that there were two roads. there was one road that was highly popular has traveled most often, but then there was this other one. See Gaza. Was one of the five chief cities uh, of the Philistines. And this road that he was asked to go went through the old Gaza ruins. Not too many people went that direction. But the Spirit of God told him to go down the deserted road. Philip was with a whole lot of people, telling a whole lot of people about Jesus. And then the Spirit of God said, Go somewhere where nobody's at. That doesn't seem right. It seems strange. And not only that, the connotation of the Greek word there for south is not only a connotation of direction, but also of time. Mazimbria is not only just saying go south, but it's also saying go south at noonday, at midday, at noontime. At this time, go down. And the reason why this makes it even more strange is that during this day and this age, at noontime it was hot. It was really hot. Ain't nobody traveling during noontime of this day. And yet Philip was asked to go down a path that nobody was traveling and at a time when nobody was traveling. Strange. Does God have you in a strange place? Does God have you in a location where you're like, why would God put me here? Does God have you in a moment of time where you're like, why in the world am I even here during this moment of my life where I should be somewhere else? I should be, I should be, I should be. You can live your whole life in the should-bes and miss the moments right in front of you. The Spirit of God had led him down a path that was unexpected. He'd also led him from pain. He had also led him down a path that really simply just didn't add up. If Philip was to tell people about Jesus, wouldn't you have thought that Jesus would have left him in Samaria where a lot of people were responding to the word of God, a great number of people coming to the Lord and allow Philip just to stay there and to see these people just continue to know more about God and share their faith and they share their faith and they make disciples, they make disciples, and make disciples and carry on, but God didn't see it that way. God took him from the many and sent him to the one. And then after the one, he sent him back to the many. It doesn't make sense that that is the way that God had put it together. Philip was snatched away from the many to go to the one, and then from the one to the many. It reminds us in this passage with the Ethiopian eunuch that every single individual is important. Everybody's important. Sometime today, I want you to read Luke 15, the entire chapter, and read these three stories, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And I want you to kind of dwell on these stories. Some are salvific, some are not salvific stories, but they are telling the story that God believes that every single individual is important to him. Is or are the individuals important to us? Let me tell you something, you as an individual... Are important to God. You're very important to God. If you were not important to God, you would not be breathing right now. God has breath that He has orchestrated to be in your lungs to serve a purpose that He has uniquely designed for you. And you get to decide if you want to be a part of that plan or not. Philip's path didn't add up, it was painful and it was unexpected. Have you ever been in a situation that just simply didn't add up? There was a cabbie one day that picked up a nun in New York. She gets into the cab and notices the cab driver. He would not stop staring at her, so she asked him why he is staring at her, and he replies, well, I've got a question for you, but I don't want to offend you. Well, she says, son, my son... You cannot offend me. As much as I've experienced and as old as I am and as much as I've seen, I've just seen about everything, I could not imagine anything that I would find to be offensive. So I'm sure you can ask whatever you want to ask. He says, well, I've always had kind of this dream, this thought of a, a nun kissing me just right here on the cheek, just right there. She said, okay. Well, let's see what we can do about that. Number one. You've got to be single. And number two, you must be Catholic. He says, yes, yes, I'm single, and I'm Catholic. She said, okay, just pull over on the side of the road here. And he did. She leans up and just right on the cheek, right there. She sat back, and he pulls back to the road and just drives off. And at that point, he starts crying and crying and crying. And she says, my dear child, why are you crying? He says, Forgive me, for I have sinned. I lied and I must confess. I'm married and I'm Jewish. The nun says, That's okay. My name is Kevin and I'm going to a Halloween party. <laughs> that was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And y'all all laughed. <laughs> Have you been, ever been in a situation that just didn't add up? Things just did not come together accordingly. Philip's gospel engagement started in pain. We see the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, had a gospel engagement experience that tells us and reminds us that we ought to engage people where they are. We've got to engage people where they are. To go up to a total stranger and to let them know or to ask them, do you know that you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb? That phrase for you and I is so dear and so intimate and so, so sweet, but means nothing to a lost and dying world. And it's quite confusing to a lost and dying world. We have church talk that a lot of times is very shorthand kind of communication for you and I to understand these images and these thoughts and these theologies and doctrines for which we know and we understand. But when we go and we try to share with other people, it's like we can't understand that they don't understand our own shorthand, our language. But we don't live in a, in a Christian society anymore. We live in a post-Christian world where the church is no longer the center of the community for all influence and persuasion. Our churches have been completely displaced where people don't come here for the first answer or the first problem. I mean, we're lucky if they even come. Those that are far away, two things, they struggle to understand God. And number two, they struggle with inner emptiness. We see here that the eunuch was struggling to understand what he was reading. He did not get it. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 tells us this, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why is it that the unbelieving world does not understand? Because the demons of hell are real. They hate them, and the demons hate you. John MacArthur follows this this, uh, quote in his scripture by saying this, Satan and his demon hosts are also actively involved in keeping men from finding God's truth. Judson, all around you and all around me, there is a spiritual war going on. There are demons and hosts and hosts of demons that are attacking our families and our friends and and our neighborhoods and our schools and our governments and our churches and our pastors and our leaders and you and me. They're attacking all the time. We are in the midst of a battle and God has called you to engage them with the gospel, how, man, just start building a relationship. Handwrite them a note today. Your neighbor's saying, "Man, I love you. I'm praying for you today." Boom, in the mailbox. Make them a pie. Do you know how to make a pie, man? Make a pie. Send it to send it to somebody down the street that just had a baby or something. Send one to me. My address is eight zero four. I kind of slipped that in there. That was almost smooth. We, church, unlike the world, have to realize there's a spiritual battle going on every single day of our lives. Fighting for the souls of our family and our neighbors and our friends. Do you want to fight back? Philip fought back. Pastor Jeff is explaining a vision for your church pretty much that says, Fight back. If you're tired of your family and your friends and your neighbors and your community all going to pot and not doing anything and struggling and suffering and this world just kind of directly going away from God, fight back. Struggle back. How do we begin? On our knees. Prayer is not the least that we can do. It's the most we can do. Prayer is not just the thing that we do at the end of the day or end of the meal or beginning of the meal or beginning of the day. It's how we fight. Pray for them by name. Pray for them. I feel that in our churches across America and in Tennessee that, that our prayer lists are most often just filled with blessed saints that are sick, And we spend most of our time just praying for for church family and friends, and that's good, and that's good. Don't hear me say anything different. That's good. But prayer is not simply praying the saints out of heaven. It is praying the lost out of hell. If we're not doing it, ain't nobody else is. It's up to us. We see the eunuch struggling with emptiness. This inner emptiness drove him to go to Jerusalem to seek for this one true God. He did not understand. Although this eunuch was the secretary of Queen Candace, he was intelligent, he was trusted, but yet he was empty. His money did not fill him. His power did not fill him. His celebrity did not fill him. He was filled at the end of this passage by the Spirit of God. Do you feel empty today? Do you struggle with emptiness or why you're here? Then you struggle with the Spirit of God in your life. You can struggle with that as a believer of Christ and an unbeliever of Christ. You can be a believer of God and say, God, I'm glad you saved my soul. Now I'm going to live my own life. And if Judson, all of you decide to do that today, then take Judson off the marquee outside and put Ichabod Baptist Church because the Spirit will depart from this place. It's apparent after today's first service, though, the Spirit hadn't left this place. It's very apparent whenever I've talked to your pastor and your leaders. Spirit ain't done with this place. Amen? Spirit ain't done with this place. We see one last character this morning. We see God moving throughout this story. We see Philip, we see the eunuch, and we see God. We see God excited. And not just excited where he's excited today and not excited tomorrow because God does not have soap opera emotions. it's here today, I love Jim today and I don't love Jim tomorrow. It's not that way with God. God is a constant form of stating. That's why I love when he gave his name to, to Moses, I am. Another way to say that in Hebrew is I be. I know that sounds all hip and like gangster and thug-like, but that really kind of translates really out real thug-like, I be. And the reason why I like be is because be reminds us of a constant There's no fluctuation. He constantly is love. He constantly is mercy. He constantly is wrath. He constantly is judgment. He's constantly just. He's constantly. And with this, what we see is that there's this constant excitement and energy that God has when people are doing what God has called and commanded and created them to do. Have you ever wanted or need God to move passionately through your life? have you ever needed it? We see him move through Philip's life. We see him move passionately through Philip's life. Have you ever needed God to move passionately through you and through your family? Have you ever had moments where he didn't? And you're wondering, God, I prayed and I did all this. Well, maybe God's not moving passionately because he doesn't want to fuel what you are. See, God won't bless a mess. And if all you're doing is, God, I went to church, and God, I pray, you need to give me, give me, give me, so I can continue to do what I'm going to do. God cannot be fooled. He will not follow that. He will not be tricked. He will bless those that are following, surrendered completely to him. And that's why when we come to Matthew 7, it scares the life of me. Not everybody that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, we'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we did these ministries. Lord, we did all these things. And he'll look at some of us and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Some of us in this room are going to be so surprised because we have followed and orchestrated this Christianity of America that, that has fit our comfort and our pleasure and all that we wanted to do, and we can live this whole Christian thing according to how America has set it up without having to live like Christ. The New Testament in Christ calls us to do more than simply serve Him. It has called us to look like Him. I'm afraid that we have got so many churches across our state And let's just boil it down right here in Nashville, that are full of people that do not thirst and hunger for righteousness. That's how you could tell if you're a Christian. That's how you could tell if you're obedient. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? If you're like, David, I don't, well, then you are in a very bad spot. God was so excited to place Philip because God knew Philip emulated who Christ was in such a way that the Greek word there in verse 39 for snatched away is a Greek word harpazo. And it literally translates into to claim for oneself eagerly, to be excited, to say this one is mine and I'm going to place him here. God was excited about the life of Philip. Is he excited about your life and what you're doing? Or do you have some manufactured, superficial thing that you're just kind of getting through? You've checked the boxes and you're like, man, I hope it all shakes out in the end. Or, man, I'm going to go to heaven or something. But yet you never hunger and you never thirst for righteousness. You never care to emulate and look like a Savior that has died for you. The moment that we do that, you won't be able to keep these doors closed because the world doesn't experience that much. Who's excited about you? When you woke up this morning, how excited was the devil and his minions about you waking up? Was the devil real excited because another unaffective, unsurrendered, uncommitted Christian has woke up another day yet to do nothing for the kingdom of God? Or was the devil so scared out of his mind? Because when your foot hit the floor, it shook his whole kingdom because he knew another surrendered, righteous, living, Christ-following, Jesus-cold individual is living another day to fight for the kingdom of God to fight for those souls that the devil is winning, that the fight for those, those children and those people and those neighbors and the family and friends that the devil has got tricked and addicted and, and beat up and busted, that the devil is so scared that we are actually going to engage them and let them know there's something different. Is the devil scared out of, your, out of his mind because you woke up another day And you're about to rock his kingdom because you're going to glorify his kingdom. Or does the devil even care about you? Let me give you a test of how you know if the devil hates your guts. It's pretty affirming when you have spiritual warfare and things come at you and you have difficulty. When you have pains and you have tribulations and you have issues in your life, I've always noticed that whenever God has got something or something is about to unfold or something's about to happen, it's at those moments, at the most inopportune moments, that negative things just hit hard. And sometimes you can't even tell why. You can't even find the rhyme or reason. You don't even know what's going on. And you have a choice in the midst of that darkness and pain like Philip had in verse 3. To use it as a stumbling block in life and just fall over and say, man, I'm getting attacked. Look at this. This is horrible. Or to use it as a stepping stone to go wherever the Lord has called you. I don't know what you have brought into this place today. I don't know what kind of pain or issue that's on your face right now. Pastor Jeff... Dr. Jeff, I really like him a lot. Please don't tell him I said that. He's sharing a vision. It's just not the newest fad box you buy from a bookstore, and it feels cool and hip. Although it probably is. Probably real cool. He's sharing a vision right now that's rooted in the heart of the gospel. That's rooted in the heart of the New Testament church. That is rooted in the spirit of God. That's rooted in the very nature of Jesus Christ. If you're in the midst of trouble and pain and problem and issue right now, how do you get out? Start with a gospel engagement. If your life is surrendered to him and you don't know what to do, do that. All I know that in the midst of darkness and pain and battle and storm, sometimes I don't know which way to walk. All I know to do is do what he last told me. Be obedient to his word and share the gospel. Be the gospel. Open up gospel opportunities. Do a gospel engagement moment with somebody. Most of the time, that's what God is waiting on in our life. Today, though, this may not be exactly where you're at because you may have come into this place and you may have not been in church much. You may have not been in church at all. This may be one of your first times in church. You may be sitting here and you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ in your life. You may have never been baptized. You may have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And what I want to do in just a moment is to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The king is calling. The king is calling. Will you answer his call? You may be here and saying, David, I've done that. I've been in church and I've done these things and stuff like that. But still, I feel powerless. David, I feel just inept to do what the things that I feel that I have in my life. Well, your job today is to repent. Repent. There may be a path in your life that you need not be on right now and you need to cry out before our God. Say, Lord, I am in the wrong place. I have surrendered to the wrong thing. God, please take this from me. Please forgive me of where I am and be reminded of 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar And his word is not within us. You may be here today and saying, David, I am sharing the gospel. David, I am on board with gospel engagements and opening up doors and caring for people too so that the gospel can be shared with my family and friends. But David, I know somebody that's struggling. Just a minute, you're going to have a time to pray. I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you please bow your head and close your eyes? Ask the musicians to come forward. Brother Todd, to come on forward as well. If you're here today and you say, Brother David, I'm that first person you talked about. I may or may not have some church experience or whatever. I may or may not have done this. David, I've not been baptized. David, I've never committed my life to Jesus. David, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus and David is a line in the sand in my life today. David, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. How do you do that? Number one, realize that you're a sinner and repent of your sins. Two, surrender it all. Tell him and give it all to him. And ask him to be the Lord and King of your life. If you're here today and you say, Brother David, I have never surrendered my life to Jesus, but I want to do that today, will you pray for me, David? Will you slip your hand up? If you're here today and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? I may not know your name, but I will remember your face. and I'll pray for you up here, and I will pray when I leave. Anybody here? If you're here today and say, Brother David, I've, I've had church experience, I've had uh, either I have been saved and uh, I've been baptized, I've been through all these things, but it just seems like, David, there's still some things in my life that seem not to be right on par with God. David, today I need to rededicate my life. David, I need to resurrender my life. David, I need to refocus my life. Will you pray for me, David, as I seek and search God out in my life? Will you slip your hand up? See that hand. See that hand. Anybody else? Okay. You can drop your hands. Anybody else? All right. One last question. If you're here today and and you know somebody that's struggling and you want to pray for them, will you slip your hand up for them? Hands are up everywhere. Anybody else? Keep them up. Keep them up. Drop your hands. We challenge you to do one more thing. If you raised your hand for yourself or someone else, would you stand to your feet and look me in the eyes? My daddy's always told me, he said, son, you could tell if a man is lying or not just by looking in his eyes. So I just want you to look right in my eyes real quick. Anybody else want to stand? For yourself or someone else? Whoever it is that you're standing for now, God loves that life and your life and my life more than we can ever put on paper, more than we can ever understand. No matter what life has brought you through and how life has brought you to this place right now, God's love and purpose for whoever it is you're standing for and even yourself is so, so great. And it's so much bigger than what has been. Today, as your church cast vision for a new day, what I want to challenge you to do is to begin to pray for a new day. If you're not standing but you're like, David, I want to stand too. Then what I want you to do in just a minute, I want you to stand and pray for your neighbors. If you're standing right now, upstairs, here, if you're standing... I want to challenge you in just a moment. Come for it. I just want you to come now. Come now and just surround this altar and pray. And you're like, David, I can do that where I'm at. I can pray where I'm at. See, I didn't come to church to just bless myself. When I came to church, I want to come to be a blessing to others. And when when people hear your feet and they start realizing Somebody else can do this, and you may impact somebody just by the sound of your feet that they can, in their own strength as well, stand and serve the Lord. So I want to ask you, if you're standing to your feet, will you move? Would you move now? If you're still sitting and praying and you just want to pray, pray for your community. Pray for your leadership. pray, Pray for your neighborhood. And pray that God can use you to engage them in some way with the gospel. Lord, we love you. God, be with us as we pray. God, as we fight. God, as we struggle. Lord, for you, for your kingdom against the gates of hell today. God, move upon us for your glory. Please, Lord. We need you. We need you.